0: Världens bästa Karlsson
1: Karlsson, Karlsson Hoj, här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan
0: carlson Vill jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson Karlsson scores! Carlson, Carlson, and best Carlson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. My name's Elon Dubrovsky and I am joined, as always, by my co-host Brian Com.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's fantasy playoffs matchups are going well. If you're still in it, we've got a big episode full of information ready to go for you. And if you're not, well, maybe you can pretend and practice.
0: Yeah, actually, we got a tweet from at year of the yetis asking at keeping Carlson, have any other quality three to four start streaming options for championship week next week? And I wrote back, We're going to drop a bunch of names on the show today. So this is it, Brian. We've got a bunch of names. We're going to go through all of them. But first, let's just mention that we are presented by dailyfaceoff.com. You know, the source of these names. Like, how do we find out who to talk about? We see all the headlines on Daily Faceoff. Then you could look at starting goalies, line combinations. All the information you need to get you through to your championship is over there at DailyFaceoff.com.
1: As I think I've been saying over the last few weeks, a totally invaluable resource over the final weeks of the season. In fact, I'm checking it way more than War on Ice, which I feel like we're not going to reference a whole lot this episode That's just how important the here and now is at this point in the year. Who's playing on what line? What goalie's starting? You can find it all at Daily Faceoff.
0: Yeah, I know War on Ice has all of those advanced stats and Corsi and like your favorite points per 60 minutes. But at this point, like something like points per 60 minutes doesn't really matter, right? Because it used to matter because it means this player has the potential to really start providing more points if their coach plays them longer. But at this point, there's not going to be time for the coach to change someone's usage. So we just need to look at who's with who who's hot, who's not, and also injuries and outjuries is a big part of it. So let's start the show with outjuries because there's a bunch of players back and these might be sneaky ads for you since they are likely in your free agent pool and maybe shouldn't be but let's start with someone who's likely not in your free agent pool but a big splash big news story yesterday Henrik Lundqvist came back after his long long absence and did not do well it was actually kind of a disaster he let in three goals in the first period the Rangers ended up losing four to two not a great start for the king and he really puts fantasy owners in a bit of a pickle like Brian and I in our joint pool we had cam talbot who we picked up when lungfist went on ir we also have lungfist by the way so we had to decide what to do. We ended up bringing Lundqvist out of IR. We had to drop someone to do that just to put Lundqvist in our lineup and give us a loss in a crucial playoff week. So, Brian, what do the listeners of the podcast and people who either have Lundqvist or Talbot, what do they do at this point? If you have Lundqvist, are we starting him with confidence this week or should you be concerned and maybe start someone else? If you have Talbot, do you drop him or do you think the Rangers are going to still be playing him a bit since he did so, so well before Lundqvist went down? What? Can our listeners do, Brian?
1: And what can we do, Elon, as owners of Lundqvist? And we all got excited that he was coming back, and then he blew up our numbers in the kind of start that you fantasize it won't happen when a player comes back from injury, but inevitably it does as he tries to shake off the rust. Like you said, Elon, he gave up four goals on 30 shots and picked up the loss against Boston on Saturday. But we're looking past that now, Elon. What does the future hold? Well, after today's game, today is Sunday, the Rangers will have seven games remaining in their regular season. And I think it's fair to expect that he starts at least five of those over the rest of the year. And that means that unless you've got roster room to burn, it's time to thank Kem Talbot for his services and bid adieu Talbot was invaluable to a ton of owners down the stretch and into the fantasy playoffs. Kudos to him, and as a Lundqvist owner myself, I even kind of wish Talbot could play out another string of games, but I don't think that's going to happen. This is a chance for Lundqvist to keep shaking off the rust, keep getting in game time, and get in playoff shape again.
0: So, Brian, I know every once in a while you like to put yourself in the shoes of the management of a team, and if you were running the Rangers right now, don't you think you'd have this nagging feeling, like, maybe we should just keep playing Talbot? Like, they were doing so well, and they were winning pretty much every game with Talbot in net, and now Lungfist is back and they lose. I know Lungfist is Henrik Lungfist, but at the same time, why fix something that's not broken? Like, obviously there's nothing we can do about it, and as fantasy owners, we could just watch, but you don't think there's any chance that they're just going to say, you know what, Henrik why don't you just rest? Let's see how far Talbot could take us.
1: Well, I'm going to bang the drum that I always bang for fantasy owners and say it rings true for New York Rangers management too, and that's this is why you have this guy. It's like when Lundqvist or Tuka say, are going through some difficulties and you're thinking, should I drop this guy? Well, maybe not drop him, but should I bench him? Should I not play him? I'm afraid. You just have to keep going. That's why you have him on your team and I think the Rangers know that they have one of the best goalies in the league and when he's rolling he makes their team almost unstoppable Talbot plays very well but I don't know if he's quite up to the level of peak Henrik Lundqvist so if I were in Rangers management I would be playing the heck out of Henrik Lundqvist and trying to get him back into game shape as quickly as possible
0: all right so yeah in that case if you're a Talbot owner he's playing today But after that, maybe it'll be time to bid him adieu. Also next week, the Rangers play three games, no back-to-backs, just Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So if they do what Brian is suggesting they should, it'll be all Lundqvist all next week. And the next outjury I want to discuss is another big name. David Krejci returned after his latest injury. And he had a big splash in his return. He played against Anaheim, played for 19 minutes and 45 seconds, and netted two power play assists. So big return. Brian, we have Krejci as well. And we left him on the IR that game because we thought, oh, let's see how he does. We already have a full roster. He ended up doing really well. So then yesterday... We decided, okay, let's bring Krejci into our lineup. Let's drop Miku Koivu, and that turned out to be a huge mistake because Krejci did absolutely nothing. Played only 16 minutes. His minutes were down. Got no goals, no assists, one shot on goal, minus one. And by the way, Miku Koivu scored two goals and had an assist. So, ah, fantasy hockey can be so hard sometimes. But back to Krejci, Brian, is he going to be the elite top line, top power play guy on Boston that you need to have in your lineup every single time they play? Or do you have any concerns?
1: No, I think he's going to be fine. And like our experience with him is somewhat indicative of the kind of season it's been for all his fantasy owners. It's been a terrible, difficult mess. He's gone back and forth between being injured and healthy and just has caused a lot of headaches for fantasy owners, but I think he still will be on the first power play unit. He's playing on the wing on the first line, which is a bit of a different situation for him, and his ice time was down. My only theories for that would be that one, well, yesterday's game on Saturday was the first half of a back-to-back, so maybe resting, and the other, maybe in conjunction with that one, is that They were winning most of the game, so perhaps they didn't need to have the first line out there. He did play a healthy 19 minutes plus in his first game back in the lineup, so I wouldn't be too upset by the 15 or 16 that he saw in his second game back. I think it should be fair to expect at least three points over the final six games of the season, and those three points could be pretty big. And I think that's probably the floor I'd hope to see more than that from him.
0: Yeah, well, hey, he's only owned in 42.8% of leagues on ESPN. So Krejci might be a really nice sneaky ad for you if you're going into your finals next week.
1: And we should add that Krejci is playing on the wing because Ryan Spooner is sticking in that second line center spot where Krejci would normally go back to. However, Spooner has done so well lately, and we've talked about his successes on the podcast, that he is going to stay there, which is why Krejci moves up to the wing. And the third line of Smith, Soderbergh, and Erickson stays intact.
0: And yeah, I guess since we're talking about the Bruins, let me just drop another name. This guy's almost for sure not available. I just sort of... He's another guy like some of these Montreal guys I just forget about, but... Patrice Bergeron has had quite the week, and I noticed because my opponent in my other league has him, and he's riding a five-game point streak right now. I don't even know if you knew that, Brian, but Patrice Bergeron is really hot right now, and it's kind of hurt me.
1: Super underrated for both what he does defensively and also what he's able to do offensively while he does all that defensive stuff. He's a great guy to have in your league, and I hope you still squeak by despite this five-game run he's on.
0: Well, I most certainly won't, but that's okay. Let's move on. Next player, next big name outjury, Dustin Bufflin, finally came back and he made a nice splash. It was the reverse fist. He's played one game so far against Montreal and he scored a goal. He was a real pain to own through this time, especially if your league didn't have an IR plus spot because the Jets never put him on IR. So he's been actually burning a spot on a lot of people's rosters, but hopefully it was worth it. He's playing today But then, you know, the Jets only play two times next week, so you're going to have to decide what to do. But obviously, Dustin Bufflin is an elite player, and he's back and did well. I don't even know what more you could say, Brian.
1: That's about it, except, like, further venting of the frustration that he caused all his owners for essentially wasting a roster spot for three weeks because he was, quote, day-to-day and, quote, probable to play for about a week before actually drawing back in. So if that actually pushed one of his owners in your league off the edge, maybe they dropped him, they got impatient, then you should probably add Dustin Bufflin to your lineup.
0: And actually, I do have one interesting thing I think I could say about this. I'm taking a look at what happened in the last game, and believe it or not, Dustin Bufflin didn't come back to play on the top power play. The Jets decided to stick with Wheeler, Shifley, Stafford, Ladd, and then Tyler Myers on defense. So if you were concerned as a Tyler Myers owner that Dustin Bufflin's return would push him off that top power play. That might not be the case, though it's only been one game, so something definitely to monitor. And by the way, we should mention Tyler Myers has continued his amazing pace.
1: Yep, if you look at his last 10 games, still six points in those, a goal and five assists, and that goal was on the power play. couple shots each game, few blocks here and there. Not a bad guy to have on your team right now.
0: Yeah, I think he'll be used as an example by us for years to come. Whenever a player gets traded from Buffalo, we'll be saying, is he going to be like a Myers or is he going to be like a Chris Stewart? (laughs) Maybe that would be the opposite. What's the opposite of a Myers leaving Buffalo? Oh, a Ryan Miller. That would be the worst thing that could happen.
1: Yeah, or a Cody Franson.
0: Right, well, he didn't leave Buffalo, but he has been a snoozer. Let's just jump into Cody Franzen right now. I know we're not even in that segment, but Brian, I was right. Cody Franzen has sucked, sucked, sucked since leaving Toronto. He was even a healthy scratch one game. So definitely anyone who has Cody Franzen on their roster, big, big snoozer. Get him off.
1: Okay, granted, but all the Predators were having a really rough time over the stretch that he came to the team for and he wasn't seeing as many opportunities as usual, and I would argue that his teammates weren't really helping him do a whole lot. I still think he's better than the three points in 18 games that he's picked up with Nashville, but you're right. Right now, his fantasy value is marginal, but Elon, if you want to rub that in my face, how about Mike Ribeiro coming back after a long absence from the score sheet?
0: Yes, okay, maybe I was wrong about that when I talked about it with brock sagan on that extra episode we did and then we talked about him last week and i was saying ribeiro come on what a snoozer he's not doing anything and then this past week ribeiro has two goals and three assists in his last three games he's been on fire honestly don't ask me for advice about mike ribeiro if you ask me about if you should pick up ribeiro on twitter i'm probably gonna be like i don't effing know okay because he was doing nothing taking no shots still not really taking many shots still one or two a game but he's getting the luck right now. I guess you want to latch on to him if you can and see how long he could ride this out.
1: Well, he's been a pretty consistent scorer all season. And I know that six-game pointless drought really changed your mind about everything relating to Mike Barrow. He's never been a high-volume shooter. And I think we had this argument earlier in the season where I said he depends a lot on the players around him because he takes so few shots. And it turns out that when the rest of Nashville starts scoring and remembers to play well... So does Michael Ribeiro. Hmm.
0: So, okay, maybe does that mean that there is hope for Cody Franzen? Can we expect Franzen to pull a Ribeiro? I will say there is maybe hope in Nashville's last game. Franzen played almost 18 minutes, which is much higher than he has in pretty much any game since he joined the team. He also played two and a half minutes on the power play. So maybe there is hope that Cody Franzen can turn it around and provide some value to any owner that sticks with him. But, you know, what can you say?
1: He was on a nearly 50-point pace during his time with the Leafs. Yes, in a very plum role, but I don't imagine that suddenly you go from that to as low as he is right now and stay there.
0: Okay, so I've gone from calling Franson a heavy, heavy snoozer to maybe someone that you might want to look at in a deep league as a sneaky pickup, so... That's how the playoffs go. who knows?
1: maybe like the the rest of the season is short enough that it might just not matter. That's up to a risk that you might decide to take or not take. I think elon you're you were on the right track with calling him a snoozer until he proves otherwise that he can score in Nashville. I would not really be excited to add him to my roster.
0: Okay, and circling back, we were talking about outjuries. We were talking about the Jets with Dustin Bufflin. We might as well talk about the number one, our favorite player this season, maybe, Matthew Perot. He's looking like he's going to come back, believe it or not. And maybe even today for the Jets game against Chicago... As we have historically noted on the podcast, Perot was one of the hottest players in the league before he got injured. He even had that great four-goal game, which was like right at the apex before everything fell apart and he got injured. Then he came back for a bit and then he had this like big injury. But now he's going to be coming back again. I already mentioned the Jets' top power play and how I don't know if there's really room... To bring Perot in. Shifley took over his spot and he's been doing great. Brian, do you foresee Perot being able to put up the same numbers he did before, or should people be cautious in adding him?
1: Oh uh, you're right, Elon, about the power play thing. And in addition to Mark Shifley, Drew Stafford has also seen more time on the power play and is doing pretty good things with it but I think regardless of whether Mathieu Perrault gets up onto the first unit or not with the man advantage, I think he's still a worthwhile player to add to your team, which is really no surprise given the praise that we've lavished him with over the course of this entire NHL season. He does have a fair amount of points on the power play, 11 of his 36 so far this season. However, his points per 60 at even strength is very respectable, and there it is, war on ice. Credit to war on ice for the points per 60 minutes numbers. The thing with Perot is that I'm actually a little scared to reactivate him. He's on my IR right now, because I'm worried it might take him a while to shake off the rust. Mind you, four guys who've just come back, we talked about Krejci and Bufflin, and also Trevor Daly and Clark MacArthur, they were all able to notch at least a point in their first games back, so why not Mathieu Perot? At even strength, we know at least that I think his return is going to shake up the Jets' top six forwards. It's likely that Adam Lowry or Michael Froelich will get bumped out, and that Perot is either going to play with Andrew Ladd or Blake Wheeler. I want to say Perot's a must add, but I also kind of want to see a game or two from him first. Then again, that burned me with both Krejci and MacArthur. At least I think it's safe to assume he won't end up on the third line, as Evander Kane did when he came back from his injury.
0: Okay, so for sure you want to wait to make sure that Perot's actually going to play today before you activate him. It hasn't actually been officially announced, it's just been hinted that he might be able to play. But then, yeah, it's tough. You'll have to think of who to drop and if it's worth it. But Perot was so great before, the Jets are just flying. So I feel like he might even, even if he has some rust, he might be able to put up some points just from being on the ice with all of these scorching superstars. So we'll see what happens. And I guess since you mentioned a couple players, let's just get into them. Trevor Daly... Another guy that we've really loved this year on the podcast. I feel like we've mentioned him a lot, and for a good reason. He's kept it up all year until, of course, he had this injury. He was out since March 3rd with a knee injury and promptly dropped in many leagues, rightfully so. No point in holding on to him unless, you know, you had an IR spot and you were willing to wait for him to be put on IR, which didn't happen right away. But now he's only owned an 18.7% of ESPN leagues, and he is back. And he played yesterday against Vancouver and picked up two assists. So Daly is... Definitely back and back to doing what he was doing before. He played 24 minutes and 19 seconds, so he wasn't eased back into the lineup at all. The one curious thing, though, is that he didn't play on the power play. Both Klingberg and Goligoski got the power play defense minutes for the Stars. If you recall before, Daly was actually on the top power play, and then sometimes Klingberg was jumping in and Goligoski wasn't doing anything. So that might be a concern, but at the same time, you can't argue with Daly's two assists Or maybe you can. Maybe that's what this podcast is for, is to look beyond just these numbers on the surface and look into things like power play time and line combinations. Like I said, he still does get a lot of ice time. I feel like he's someone you want in your roster, in a relatively deep league at least. Brian, do you concur?
1: Yeah, I do concur. And one note about his power play ice time last night is that The Stars only had one power play, and for that power play, it was split between Klingberg and Goligoski for who got to man the point. So perhaps in a game with more power plays, we might see Daly get some time. I would expect him to, and like, he's really been a stalwart this fantasy season. I didn't expect to be saying this about him at this point in the season, but he is probably a must-add on your roster if he's available. His current point total translates to a 57-point pace over an entire season, and that is thanks in large part to the excellent offensive opportunities that he's been afforded by the Dallas coaching staff. So that will have to continue for him to continue putting up points at that pace. Something that you should also consider is how this may cut into Alex Goligoski's production, which, as we've said, has been really strong in Daly's absence. Goligosky has two goals and seven assists for nine points in his last 12 games played. But Goligoski did see that power play time we just mentioned, and that went towards a game-high 26 minutes and change of time on ice. Keep an eye on how those two, Goligoski and Daly, split their even strength and power play time with Klingberg over the next while. But all are still decent guys to have on your team. I would still want Daly. I wouldn't rush to drop Goligosky, but you might have to make a decision.
0: And the other guy you mentioned before was Clark MacArthur, who also came back yesterday and also picked up an assist. Not two assists, but hey, one is pretty good though he did only play 12 minutes and 54 seconds. So that's the downside. But then some more upside is he was playing with Kyle Turris and Mark Stone. So good line mates. So it's tough to say. Like, he's had a really rough year. I know, Brian, you were so high on Clark MacArthur. But obviously, you had to admit at some point that he only had 27 points in 54 games. So he's a half point per game player. Do you think he has the potential to be more than that for the last couple weeks of the season? Or do you see him as staying around that status?
1: I think the best I can say is that I hope he gets above that mark. He did rake out last year with 55 points on what I love to mention is one of the most productive lines in the NHL with Kyle Tourist and Bobby Ryan. But yeah, his start fell quite a bit this season before he left due to injury. The good news is that in his return to the lineup, he did pick up an assist and he played with Kyle Turris and Mark Stone. I'm still kind of wary of him overall, though. Apparently, he's wearing a tinted visor to help manage the after-effects of the concussion that held him out of the lineup since February. And I feel like anyone managing the after-effects of a concussion just maybe shouldn't be playing at all. So, I suppose you should watch him, see how he does with tempered expectations. I don't see him as, like, a surefire fantasy lineup mainstay over the final games of the year, but if his schedule works with your team, he might be somebody good to stream here and there to get an edge in your final matchups.
0: Yeah, I think also I would keep an eye on his ice time. Like maybe he was getting eased in a little bit, but if a guy is playing 13 minutes, I don't necessarily want him on my roster. It's just so much less time to score than someone else who's playing 18 minutes. But he was playing more before, averaging 17 minutes a game on the season. So hopefully that'll go up and that will also increase my expectation that he'll be able to do something for you when you put him into your roster. And I guess now that we're on the sends, we're doing these things in pairs because another big outjury on Saturday was Craig Anderson was back in nets. And not just because he's healthy, but also because Andrew Hammond, the guy who we've had to talk about every week, he's now out with an injury lower body issues. We're not sure yet how long Hammond will be out, but I was thinking now that Anderson was back, and since Hammond had been struggling for a little while, it was most likely the end of this whole Hamburglar era, and we were going to now stick with the number one goalie going into the playoffs. But... Then yesterday, Anderson, who was playing well for most of the game, kind of blew it at the end. The Sens lost 4-3 to to the Leafs in overtime. He let in four goals on 31 shots. Brian, what's your take? If you have Andrew Hammond, is it time to drop him? If Craig Anderson is available, is it time to add him?
1: Yeah, I think you should add Anderson, and I think you might not want Hammond a whole lot longer. Craig Anderson came back not a moment too soon for the Sens and for your fantasy team, but My concern with him is that perhaps it was a moment or two too soon for his injury to heal completely. A lot of questions for the Sens doctors and athletic therapists on the show this week because Anderson was seen shaking his injured hand several times during play stoppages against Toronto on Saturday night. That aside, it's fair to say that neither of his last two starts have looked particularly good to him in numbers, But in both, I watched them both, and he made big saves and looked sharp throughout, including a huge save towards the end of the third period last night in Toronto. If you need a goalie right now and can afford the risk that Anderson sits a game here and there down the stretch to completely recover as he needs to, then add Anderson right now. He's so underrated on the whole, really one of the top goalies in the NHL over the last few seasons, while getting shelled regularly behind a weak Sens team. He probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for single-handedly sealing the points earlier this season that allowed Andrew Hammond's recent run to be meaningful in any way. And the Sens, hopefully, are a little bit better now than they were earlier in the year, though they showed no sign of that last night in Toronto. You can tell I'm a little bit upset about it. And hopefully, Anderson and the Sens can work together to collect some Ws as their hunt for that eighth playoff seat continues. As for Andrew Hammond... He deserves a ton of credit for what he did, especially in the way that it flew in the face of all expectations. But as we sort of got to on the show last week... The Magic seems to be gone after a handful of weak starts, a loss in which he was pulled, and an injury that may have exacerbated the situation. Not saying he's done for his career, he's not done for the rest of his life, but I'm not as excited to own him today as I was even last week. As a fantasy goalie, I think he's probably just about done for the year, but in all honesty, I've been wrong about Hammond before.
0: Yeah, well also it's just like at this point in the fantasy season, if you have a guy injured even for a couple of games... You have to really question, is it worth having him? Like, for a lot of people, next week is the finals. There's only two weeks left in the season. So if Hammond is injured, I say you drop him right away. And if you could get Craig Anderson and you need a goalie, you could do a lot worse. And we're still talking about Outreys. There's a lot of them. And I guess these are the ones, like I said at the top of the show, these are the guys that you might want to look at because those are the people no one else is thinking about. And of course, Hornquist and Malkin, who came back. People are thinking about them. You can't re-add them. I don't even want to talk about them. But I will mention one more really under-the-radar guy, Valerie Nichuchkin. He might actually come and play this season. He's apparently right now in the AHL on a conditioning stint. Brian, he's someone you talked about a lot last season, I remember, and even a bit at the beginning of this season as a guy who would come in and play on the Stars' top six and potentially be an impactful fantasy player. How do you feel about Nishushkin now? And do you think he's worth an add once he's called back up to the main roster?
1: There was a fair amount of hype surrounding him going into this season. He was drafted in nearly half of all Yahoo leagues this year only to be out of the Dallas lineup for all but four games to date. And in those four games, he picked up no points, only two shots on goal. And if I remember correctly, there was a fair amount of hand-rigging about where he fit into the Stars lineup at both even strength and on the power play. And the disappointment Elon was there because a lot of us had him pegged as some kind of sleeper this season, and he only managed 34 points in the 79 games of his rookie season last year, but that included a very fantasy-relevant stretch in which he tallied 27 points in 45 games played, and that's what got us talking about him on the show as we did. He also looked really, really good doing it with a few highlight reel goals and some super impressive play with and around the puck. Like you said, he's on a conditioning stint right now and he might only return barely in time for the final week of the season. To answer your question, I don't think I'm jumping at him or dropping anybody who's reasonably productive or you could even hope to be reasonably productive to add him to my roster, but he's someone that is probably worth putting on your watch list just in case that he does turn out to be worth a stream if the right circumstances present themselves.
0: Okay, and I think that's it for the significant outjuries. Hopefully one of those names triggered something in your brain to go, oh yeah, that guy, I might look into him. Because that's, I guess, the whole point of that segment. But now let's go to the other side of it. Let's talk about some injuries. But you know, there might be some value here. Of course, if we mention a player who you have, then it's just bad news and we're sorry. But maybe there's someone else on the team that will become sort of a sneaky player who's going to have an increased role for the rest of the season. And let's start in Florida where we always go every week. We love to go to Florida. But this is a sad time to go to Florida because we're going to talk about Nick Bjogstad out for the season after undergoing back surgery on Friday. And this is a tough one because Bjogstad was such a great pickup. You know, he had a soft start to the season, but then really became uh, an awesome person to have. Overall, he ended the season with 24 goals and 19 assists for 43 points in 72 games and if you take out a stretch when he wasn't doing much at the start of the season and he becomes even more impressive he was a shot taker he was an all-around really useful guy to have on your roster but he's out so Brian let's take a look at what's going on in Florida now that means there's going to be a new guy in the top six and a new guy on the top power play.
1: With Bugstad out at even strength, it seems like Florida is running with a top nine more than they are a top six. Dave Boland is the one who's getting to play with Brad Boys in the center spot that Bugstad did occupy, but Bugstad's other linemate, Brandon Peary, is up playing with Vincent Trocheck and Jimmy Hayes. And I'm not sure which of those two lines would really qualify as the second. Their ice times seem to be fairly similar. Their deployment is also fairly similar. So I guess we're running with a top nine in Florida right now. I don't see a ton of value in Dave Boland or Vincent Trocheck at the moment. If you're in a really deep league and you want to pick one, I guess Trocek would be a fair choice with two assists in his last three games. Only two shots on goal, though, so not doing a ton either way. On the power play without Bugstad, it looks like the Panthers have shifted to having four forwards on their top unit to having three, and that means that Aaron Ekblad is seeing some first power play unit time, and also Dmitry Kulikov is seeing a little more power play time than he's used to. And he did manage a power play assist in Saturday night's game at Montreal. He's a guy that gets a fair amount of hits and a couple blocks too, so he's decent in peripherals. I don't expect him to start scoring regularly with the few power play minutes that he's going to get. But I guess now he's on your radar in a really, really, really deep league.
0: And I guess maybe since we're on the Panthers, it would be worth mentioning that Alexander Barkov has heated up once again. He's got seven points in his last eight games. More specifically, he's got five points in his last three games. Very quickly, Brian, do you think he'll be able to keep this up or will he cool off again like he did after his last hot stretch?
1: I don't know, to be honest. I was literally like hours away from dropping him, decided to hold on to him for one more day. And I think it was just like a lineup logistics thing that I kept him. Not any sort of hope that he was going to pick it up. He had been scoreless for a long time. And then, boom, there he goes. He goes off this week. And I hope he'll keep it up for the rest of the season. He's a super talented guy, deserves to be reasonably high on draft lists next year, even higher in keeper leagues. I think at this point, you hold out hope that things continue for him and Brandon Peary.
0: And another season-ending injury to cover is Wayne Simmons over on Philadelphia. And he had also been having a fantastic season, 28 goals and 22 assists for 50 points in 75 games. He spent most of his time playing with Sean Couturier and Matt Reed on the I guess second line of the Flyers and he was on that awesome top power play with Giroux and Voracek and Braden Shen who somehow hasn't been able to put up many points even though he is on that awesome power play as well but Simmons did put up a lot of points and he did put up a lot of power play points so he'll be sorely missed from people's rosters but does that mean Brian that someone new gets to be on the top power play in Philadelphia I'd imagine that would be the main person that I'd want to potentially target from this injury news.
1: First off, let's just acknowledge Simmons as being a really good player who I don't think gets enough credit for what he does. I feel like he's kind of like Jason Pommenville in terms of how fantasy owners view him he puts up a lot of points then might go silent for a few games and people start wondering should I swap him out for this guy should I make a trade blah 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 but always in the end he usually pulls through so it's sad to see him go for this season and Elon yes somebody will get to replace him on that first power play unit it looks like it's a forward so far Ryan White who I think we mentioned like from one hot run earlier this season that was very uncharacteristic of him he has 28 points in 169 games played And I'm kind of thinking that if Brayden Shen can't produce on that top power play unit, it does not guarantee production from Ryan White either, although it is worth mentioning that White has five points in his last 10 games. He's not a scoring type. I think he's much more of a checking winger, and I don't know how long he sticks there. It's a really curious decision, especially considering that there's still some talent on that second unit that maybe could get moved up to the first instead, like Matt Reed or Sean Couturier or even Vinny LeCavalier. So you can go for Ryan White if you want to take a chance, but I'm not too high on him, even though he's getting more power play time and has decent production in his last 10. Just not a big fan overall.
0: Well, maybe one reason why Ryan White might be more valuable than maybe what meets the eye is you would think he's actually really good for hits. Like if you look at his last 10 games, he has some games of three and four and even a seven in there. But curiously, in his last two games, he had one and zero hits. I wonder if that has to do with him getting this uh, increased role and now maybe he's focusing more on getting points. I don't really know how this works. But his hits are down, his points are up, and like you say, Brian, he might be worth a look, but only in very deep leagues, and maybe only in leagues that count hits since he has that extra added potential.
1: Yeah, and at even strength with Simmons out, Braden Shen moves on to the line with Couturier and Reed in Simmons' former spot. I don't see a ton of production all of a sudden from him either with this even strength opportunity. I feel like he's not as good as everybody hoped he would be. When he was drafted by LA, there was huge hype around him. One of the next big superstars in the NHL. Then when he was traded to Philly, that hype came to Philly with him. Hasn't panned out. I'm losing faith that it will. I think he's probably a half point per game guy, especially after spending an entire season on that top power play unit and just not taking advantage of it on a regular basis.
0: So in that case, Brian, would you drop Braden Shen for Michael Roffel? If you could, because Raffle's the one on the top line with Giroud and Voracek. And he's got three goals in his last three games. He scored a goal in each game, and he also scored a goal five games ago. So he's got four goals in his last five games. He took five shots a couple of games ago. He's definitely taking advantage of being on this top line. Unlike how you say uh, Braden Shen has been on the power play.
1: Yeah, he's come and gone. And he also has seen long dry spells playing with Voracek and Jiru. And I wonder if those two are just so good that they can do it all themselves. And there's no benefit for the guy who plays in the third spot. But I'm not sure that that's a really great theory considering, say, what Patrick Eves has done with Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan so far this year. As for Raffle right now, Elon, you're right. He makes a pretty decent streaming option. You should be keeping an eye on him. Six points. In his last 10 games, a few zeros in the shots on goal column, but yeah, every now and then he's able to put up a couple shots or more on net. I've been disappointed with him once or twice earlier this season when I tried to take advantage of him playing in such a great situation. Maybe he can keep it up this time.
0: And now let's head over to Detroit and a guy who maybe I didn't think would have been an impactful injury when he got traded, but now Eric Cole, it was kind of a hit. People who had picked him up when he got traded to Detroit from Dallas were probably very happy with the production he was giving them and obviously it didn't hurt that he was playing with Justin Abdelkader and Henrik Zetterberg, but he's injured. We still don't know how long it will be for. He might even come back next week. Maybe not, but if he doesn't, Brian, is there anyone on Detroit that you think his value goes up?
1: Well, it looks like at even strength that Gustav Nyquist has replaced Cole on that line. So maybe actually Justin applicator benefits from having a better finisher on his line than Eric Cole. Not to take much away from him. He is getting over a half point per game so far this season. 39 points in 68 games played so far, which is really a lot better than his last couple seasons have been. But if I have Justin applicator on my team... I'm happier to have him playing alongside Gustav Nyquist.
0: And speaking of Gustav Nyquist, he's quietly been having a pretty decent season. I think he had super high expectations going into the year after his really strong end of last season. But by the way, Gustav Nyquist has 51 points in 74 games. It's only his second year. And like you say, now he's back playing with Henrik Zetterberg. He got a goal and assist in their last game against Tampa Bay. So things are looking good for Gustav Nyquist right now to end the year strong. Maybe he'll hit 60 points. Probably not. Maybe he'll hit 55.
1: Maybe he'll hit 55. It helps to move away from playing with Joachim Anderson and Timo Polkinen at the very least.
0: And there's actually another injury on Detroit, not as big an impact as Eric Cole, believe it or not, but Riley Sheehan is also out. He had some time in the top six. He was shuffling around, and there were points in the season where we thought he might be worth a streaming ad. At this point, it's Darren Helm playing with Datsuk and Tatar, and then Nykvist is playing with Zetterberg and Ablikator. As we've said, that's the top six right now, so I guess the lowest percentage owned player of all of those that I've mentioned is Darren Helm. Maybe he's someone worth looking at. We talked about it before as someone who also gets hits. But I think one big story that we need to talk about on Detroit maybe people are more concerned about is their goaltending situation because it seems lately like Jimmy Howard has been faltering. Mrazik has been great. In fact yesterday Mrazik is the one who got the start against Tampa Bay when you would have thought it would be their starter Jimmy Howard on a Saturday night game. But no it was Mrazik and he got the shutout a 23 safe shutout and now Detroit plays again today. I'm very curious to see if they'll maybe play Mrazek again. Apparently he has been confirmed. So what does this say to owners of Jimmy Howard? Is it time to start scrambling? Do you drop Howard for Mrazek at this point? This cannot be good news for people who were holding on to Howard during his injury, hoping that he'd help them in the playoffs.
1: If you're relying on Howard to get your goalie minimums, then perhaps it is time to reconsider how you are going to get them now. I wouldn't necessarily drop Howard for Mrazek, Maybe i drop my worst skater to do it because I don't think that Howard is finished for the season. Maybe he takes a couple games, get his head straight, practice a little bit more, and then gets back in the lineup because I do think that come the playoffs, Jimmy Howard is going to be in net for Detroit. We've talked about his past numbers enough on the show for you to know that we are fairly big fans of him. He is a really good goalie in the NHL. He does have rough spots. This is one of them. I have faith that he will recover in time for the playoffs. Until then, though, Mrazek is a decent guy to have. He's got a 9-17 save percentage so far this year. 15 wins in 21 starts. Doing pretty darned well. Of course, had the shutout yesterday. Gets another chance today. Tired on the second half of a back-to-back we'll see if that helps him or hurts him, getting his third consecutive start. And before we move away from Detroit, Elon, I think we should mention that if you did have Darren Helm, he's snoozing. He's pointless in his last 10, specifically in his last six since returning from injury, still putting a few shots on goal, throwing a couple hits a game, but if you're looking for points from him, he shouldn't be on your roster right now. Even though he's playing with pretty good line mates, there might be better options available in free agency, especially with other teams at this point in your fantasy playoffs, probably dropping serviceable players as strategy moves to get more games and in urgent situations.
0: Yeah, well, Helm would definitely be someone that you would hold on to only in a super deep league. Like, he does have those good line mates, so it would be like a speculative add, because like you say, he hasn't been doing anything at all since coming back from injury Detroit does have a good schedule next week though they play four times so who knows if maybe you'll be willing to give him another chance again deep leagues only let's talk about our next injury we didn't mention last week that Dougie Hamilton is out indefinitely right now with apparently a shoulder injury. And I feel like this guy has been really quietly having an amazing, amazing season. He has 42 points in 72 games. I recall when Zdeno Chara got injured, a lot of people picked up Hamilton as he was going to have an increased role on the team. And hopefully they held on to him when Chara came back because he's just been rolling ever since. But now he's out. And I guess that just makes Tori Krug all the more valuable. He's having a pretty decent season himself, 36 points in 71 games, so also like a half point per game player. Well, Hamilton's been above a half point per game player, but for a defense, Krug has been really good, and he has two assists in his last two games, both while Hamilton has been out, so I feel like if he's a free agent in your league, this would be for obviously shallow leagues. Now's the time to grab a Tory Krug.
1: Well, Tori Krug has, I think, been worthwhile for most of this season. And his even strength role, I don't think, changes a whole lot with Hamilton out. He might see a little more power play time or a bit of an increased role on the power play where he... Did play with partner Dougie Hamilton, but has been playing either alone or with Zach Trotman in recent Bruins matchups. And speaking of Zach Trotman, I think he's the reason why Krug's workload won't necessarily increase at even strength. He's just jumped up to become Zdeno partner. I don't think there's a ton of value in him. He's not even seeing a ton of ice time. The ice time you'd expect to see if you're always playing with Zdeno Any anytime Zdeno is on the ice. So his fantasy value remains marginal at best and probably a lot lower than that and let's just take a second to acknowledge like you did elon dougie hamilton having himself a season we gushed about him in a series of tweets maybe i feel like it was four to six weeks ago his shot rates for a defenseman are elite. He's doing it all at a young age. He's putting up a ton of points and is somebody that you might be able to sneak a little later than he should go in next year's draft for probably the last time. He's going to be an established defenseman in the NHL who can score and help you out in your fantasy league, somehow still flying under the radar when he definitely should not be. But that's why you listen to Keeping Carlson.
0: Yeah, and we'll make sure to be doing lots of pre-draft coverage next year as the season approaches, and we'll make sure to mention the name Dougie Hamilton, but for now, forget about him, he's out. Well, he might come back still this season, we don't know, but if he doesn't come back, hopefully you have someone else on the Bruins or someone else that we've mentioned on the show to take his place, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet, because this might actually be one of the biggest injuries. Alex Steen had a knee-on-knee collision yesterday and left after four shifts, we don't know yet, the extent of his injury, maybe by the time that you listen to this podcast, you'll need to go and check and see what the latest update is. But obviously, a knee injury would not be good for Alex Steen at this point of the year. He's, of course, had another tremendous season, he's already up to 62 points in 73 games. But if he's injured, you know, that top line in St. Louis of Backus, Oshie, and Steen, even if you take out Steen and you put in someone else, that's still a pretty good line. So, Brian, who do you think is going to be the lucky guy?
1: Apparently, it was Chris Porter, although, like, that question doesn't really count, because TJ Oshie was also out of the lineup, so it was kind of a mess in terms of what the St. Louis lines looked like. I think what we know for sure is that we have Laterra, Schwartz, and Tarasenko, Berglund, Stastny, and Jaskin, and until Steen and Oshi come back, it looks like Backus is going to be playing with third and fourth line players like Steve Ott and Ryan Reeves and Chris Porter. Not the most promising thing for David Backus, although he is good enough that he can produce on his own. And hopefully this situation won't last long. I think TJ Oshi just might have been a little bit sick, so he might not be out for a whole lot longer.
0: So I guess the conclusion of all of this is If you have players on St. Louis or you're considering picking up a player on St. Louis, definitely make sure to take a look at Daily Faceoff as close to game time as possible to see what the new status is. If Steen is out... Oshi hopefully won't be out but yeah it'll be interesting to see maybe Paul Stasny will get back into the top six it'll be interesting to see how things shake out there and another big name injury from yesterday is Chris Letang and I'm reading on Rotoworld it says Letang will remain in the hospital overnight after suffering a scary head injury during the second period of Saturday's game so that does not sound good this guy has the worst luck with injuries such an elite player but has trouble staying in the lineup of course there will be someone who benefits from this injury maybe even more than whoever benefits from the Steen injury just because someone's going to get on the top power play on defense to play with Malkin and Hornquist who are back and Crosby and maybe David Perron so Brian do you have any hot tips as to who the new number one defenseman will be in Pittsburgh until Latang comes back?
1: Elon actually Perron was injured so Kunitz was on that power play unit but back to the back end of that unit it looks like the guys you're going to want to look at if Latang is up for extended time are Derek Pouliot and Paul Martin. Pouliot saw five minutes of power play time on Saturday, and Paul Martin, I feel like he is sort of the de facto Latang replacement on the power play. He had a couple good years of doing it with New Jersey, has done a decent job filling in for Latang in the past in Pittsburgh, but Pouliot wasn't in the picture then, and For now, it seems like he is getting first kick at the most important minutes.
0: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, Pouliot had a great game, right? He got a power play assist, he took four shots, he blocked three shots. That's a really great fantasy line, and if he's going to stay on that top power play... You know Paul Martin. It's so hard to get excited about Paul Martin. He's been just a big pile of nothing for a few seasons now. And I remember you and I picked him up at one point because of some roster situation. And I think Latang or someone was out on Pittsburgh. Nothing materialized. I would be excited to grab Pouliot right now, especially in a league that also counts blocks. And speaking of injured big name defensemen, of course we can't end the segment without mentioning Shea Weber. Again, we don't know how long he'll be out. Here's a guy though who has been having an amazing season: 45 points in 75 games as to be expected. Though he has slowed down a bit lately. But of course, all of Nashville has slowed down lately. And if you take a look at his shot totals, they have been really high. So I wouldn't be worried about Shea Weber. If he's healthy, if he's injured, though, maybe that means someone is on the top power play in Nashville.
1: Well, isn't this convenient, Elon? It looks like Cody Franson. We're tying things all together on this episode. Cody Franson is up playing with Roman Josie on the top power play unit in Nashville. At even strength, Seth Jones gets to be Yoshi's partner instead of Weber, and Jones had 23 minutes of ice time last night and over two minutes on the power play. He's going to see some increased power play time as well. Both Jones and Franson are guys that we have talked about in the past as having some value depending on the circumstances, and these might be those circumstances, so check their schedule, see how they align with your fantasy team's week. And consider adding one of the two if you need some defensive help.
0: Right, yeah, it's worth mentioning that Nashville kind of has two power play units. I don't know if you could even say one is the top and one is the second one. It's like Beck, Fisher, and Forsberg on one, and Ribeiro, Smith, and Wilson is the other. And like you said, Franson and Yossi are on the top one as of the last game, and Jones and Ellis are on the second one. So I feel like any of those guys you could expect to get some power play time. And yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Franson finally will do something. So I'm curious to see. I'm more excited about France and now than I was at the beginning of the episode after taking a look at his decent last game, which now makes more sense because it was because Weber was injured. All of that said, though, Predators only play two times next week. So maybe you just want to avoid these Nashville players regardless.
1: Good point, Elon. And I feel like maybe we should have said this off the top of the show. Schedules are a huge deal at this time of year. I hope we strained that point last week. We're going to strain it again this week before taking any of the advice we offer in this episode, make sure that a player's schedule works for you. You should ask yourself, will there be open roster space for this new player on busy nights? Who might I have to sit to have this player play instead? Does this guy play often enough to help me in my matchup this week? Who is his opposition going to be? How many times does he play back to back? All of these scheduling questions are things to consider when adding and dropping players in your playoff weeks.
0: Okay, and we still have a bunch of players we want to talk about. I guess we'll do a quick sustainable or fleeting to end the show. But first, I want to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson, as we do every week, for helping to support the show. It's been a lot of fun on the patron only Facebook group lately. Very busy as people are making daily roster decisions to try to stay in their playoffs. And I think a lot of patrons are still in there, so it's exciting. And definitely, if you want to join in, it's never too late. Sign up, $5 a month, and you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. We also had a really fun patron cast last week. And as a patron, you'd have access to listen to any old archived patron casts. And I want to quickly thank Shad for signing up last week as the newest patron.
1: Thank you so much to our patrons for supporting our show through the season so far. If you are not yet a patron and you've enjoyed the show, you've been using some of our advice, and you'd like to help keep the episodes coming... Just take a peek, go over if you haven't already, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, see if any of it works for you. We really appreciate you as a listener, and if you want to support the show, well, we'd appreciate that too.
0: And with that, let's get to our, I guess we'll call the a sustainable or fleeting segment.
1: I don't think there's time for a sustainable or fleeting segment this late in the season. I think it's just like, these guys are doing really well, get them quick. Maybe.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, then let's just run through some names and we'll see your opinions. Let's start with a couple of goalies. Kari Letnin is finally doing for his owners what they were hoping for all year. This was a total gut thing, but I kind of called it. I don't know if you recall earlier in the year when he was sucking and people were talking about if they should drop him or not. And I was just thinking, and I'm pretty sure I said, I have a feeling come fantasy playoffs, you'll want him on your team. And if you've had him on your team, you've been enjoying eight wins. In his last 10 games, in the last couple of weeks, specifically in his last seven games, he has a 924 save percentage. So he's turning it on at the right time. I'd imagine if you held on to Carrie Lettinen, you're happy that you did. And if you didn't, you're kicking yourself.
1: I'm gonna be a bit of a wet blanket here, Elon, and mention that in five of his last 10 games, he's given up three goals or more, and not a whole lot of quality starts to be seen. I feel like he's become at least an average goalie with a few good starts. I think Dallas has gone on a run a little bit thanks to him and a little bit thanks to their goal scoring continuing to click and getting into gear I also wonder if the acquisition of Jonas Enroth changed anything. I mean, we don't really speculate a whole lot on that side of things, but I know when the Stars acquired him, I was like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is a chance for Enroth to at least take on a 1B role. But Lettinen has stayed firmly in that number one position in Dallas, and hopefully he can continue it.
0: Yeah, Brian, you make a good point. He's getting a lot of wins, and some of them maybe he doesn't deserve, but a win's a win. Obviously, there's other goalie categories to be concerned about, but right now... Especially if you need a win, you want to have Lettin in your nets. Another goalie who was doing so badly at first, but is now actually putting up really great numbers to end the year. And people might be surprised to hear this, but Mike Smith on Arizona has been having a number of really strong starts lately. I think his numbers are great ever since the All-Star break. Only owned in 14.5% of ESPN leagues. And this was a huge drop from, I'm sure, closer to 80 or 90% at the start of the season but maybe now's the time to grab Mike Smith if you need some goaltending depth.
1: I don't know what this means in terms of the differences between ESPN owners and Yahoo owners, but Mike Smith is owned in 55% of Yahoo leagues. That could mean that Yahoo owners are really on top of the ball and adding him when they need him, or goalies are more important in Yahoo formats, or everybody just like auto drafted him and then forgot about their teams. Not sure which of those it is, but Mike Smith, Elon, like you said, has been fantastic since the All-Star break. 9.20 9.20 save percentage in 26 starts since then. He's been rolling since Devin Dubnik got traded, playing almost as well as Dubnik. We mentioned it on the Patron cast last week. We mentioned it on Twitter also, but all these great numbers have only gone far enough to get him six wins in 26 games. It is so weird for a goalie to stop 92% of the shot he faces and get six wins in 26 games. He's winning fewer than 25% of his starts since the All-Star break, even though he deserves a better fate. Unfortunately, that is what happens when you play for the Arizona Coyotes. If you want to look at an even more impressive sample, in his last 11 games in March, he's gone 3-8-0. That's not the impressive part. A 9-34 save percentage is the impressive part, and a goals against average under two and a half goals per game, and this is the first monthly split in which he's managed to do that in a sample of about 10, 11, 12 games this season. This isn't to say that Mike Smith is back and he's the great goalie that everyone kind of always thought he was. I still don't think he's a fantastic NHL goalie all around, I'm not excited about him for next year, especially if he's going to be once more with the Arizona Coyotes. But we should still give him credit for what he's been doing.
0: And speaking of players doing well, even though they're not on the greatest of teams, I'm going to throw a name at you, Brian. Did you know that Brian Gianta, people might not even know what team he's on, but he's on the Buffalo Sabres, and he's got three goals and four assists in his last seven games. And he's taking a ton of shots on goal. He has 31 shots in those games. So he's been on fire, getting points in almost every game. He's playing huge minutes on the Sabres for whatever that's worth, but he was averaging around 17 to 18 minutes a game. Lately, he's been playing over 20 in a number of games. Sabres actually have a pretty nice schedule next week. They play Arizona, Toronto, and then Chicago and Islanders all before Sunday, so you can even grab him for four games and then drop him for someone else on Sunday. I really like Gianta as a sneaky depth ad for your finals next week, especially if your league counts shots.
1: He's already been added in my league, and at that point, I was like, really? And then I looked at it a little closer, and yeah, he's been doing well, even though a lot of the last seven games that you mentioned, Elon, he played some of them with Philip Verone and Marcus Foligno, which aren't exactly, you know, tickets to production. And now that Tyler Ennis is out, uh, we don't know for how long, but Tyler Ennis did miss the last game, Gionta took his spot on the top line alongside Matt Molson and Johan Larson, who we've also both mentioned recently on the podcast and in the Patreon cast as players who are getting hot at the right time for fantasy owners in playoff matchups.
0: Yeah, the thing I like the most about Gianta isn't his points, it's actually his shots. Just makes me think, wow, this guy has potential, especially with games against Arizona and Toronto to start the week next week. And I guess that applies to all Sabres players.
1: Yeah, this could be a time where you want Buffalo Sabres, although if you're worried about plus-minus, it's never a good time throughout all these great shot games and points scored for Gianta. He still has not been a plus player in his last nine games played. And keep in mind, let's just temper our expectations a little bit. 26 points in 62 games so far this season, and that is with seven points in his last seven games. He's probably a half point per game player in general with a decent team. With Buffalo, I worry, but we're looking at very small sample sizes, just a few games left in the season, and perhaps he's somebody who can help your team, especially Elon with those shot totals, 18 shots on goal in his last three games.
0: And a counterpoint to what you said about plus minus, they play Arizona and Toronto on Monday and Wednesday of next week. So I don't think you have to be too, too worried about the plus minus, at least for those games. Maybe you drop him before Chicago and Islanders on the weekend.
1: I don't think it's possible to ever stop being worried about the plus minus of a Buffalo Sabres player.
0: So at this point, would you say Buffalo is worse than Toronto still, in terms of who you're more worried about getting minus? If Buffalo plays Toronto, they can't all be minus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They'll find a way.
0: And next, Brian, let's rattle off some names of players who are big name players who were drafted early, but then had really poor seasons, at least for long stretches, but are now hot and worth having if somehow they're still on your free agent lists. I'll start. Thomas Vanek has 11 points in his last 14 games, scoring lots of goals, and he's up to 50 points on the year in 75 games. And considering how disappointing he was for so long, it's pretty amazing that he's up to this pace. So I definitely think if you want to grab Thomas Vanek, now would be the time. Though, caveat there is Minnesota actually has a weak schedule next week. They only play on Thursday and Saturday. So if you are going to pick up Vanek, unless you're worried about someone else taking him first, you might want to wait until Thursday to grab him.
1: Another player who has recently hit 50 points is Alex Tongue, who I admit I wrote off a little bit thinking that he wouldn't be able to succeed on a Colorado team that was young and fast and also that played poorly in their own end and with and without the puck. But Colorado is getting it together a little bit over the course of the end of the season, and Alex Tongay is part of that. He has 11 points in his last 11 games, six goals, five assists, and continues to shoot incredibly efficiently. This guy is someone who you look at their shooting percentage, you see it's high, and you're not expecting it to regress the same way it would for other players. He has a career shooting percentage benchmark of 19%. So you look at him and say, whoa, well, he has 22 goals on 99 shots. That's ridiculous. That is like 22% shooting percentage. And then you're like, well, actually, that is close enough to his career number to consider reasonable. He is fantastic at picking his spots and continues to do it throughout the later stages of this season. 51 points in 73 games so far for Alex Tange, was available on most leagues, free agent, and waiver wires for a good chunk of the beginning of the season.
0: Brian, I dropped Alex Tange. I think partially on your advice at some point in the middle of the year, I had a really stacked roster at the time and needed to drop someone. Obviously, I should have dropped Tyler Bozak, but I dropped Alex Tange and I've been regretting it ever since. Though Bozak did get a hat trick yesterday. So I feel like maybe sometimes we call players out on the podcast because we called Bozak a snoozer last week. You called him a heavy snoozer. And of course he had to respond and score a hat trick just to make you look bad. But I still agree that Bozak is a snoozer.
1: And I also hesitated in picking up Tange. You told me a hundred times to pick him up when I had the choice. Him and Kaloran were like two guys I refused to add earlier in the season because I thought any success was fleeting. I was wrong about Well, more so Tange than Kalorn, But, Elon, at the time, I feel like I might have suggested you try and trade Bozak so you keep Tange. Don't throw me under the bus completely.
0: (laughs) No, you definitely said that I should get rid of Bozak. That was on me. And since we're talking about the Avalanche and you mentioned Tange, I want to tell you that there are currently five Avalanche players who have seven or more points in their last seven games. So this team is on fire. Matt Duchesne has seven in his last seven. Landeskog has eight. Tange has eight. Jerome McGinley has eight, and Ryan O'Reilly with 12 points in his last seven games. Also, Tyson Barry has five points in his last seven, which for defense is very impressive. So there are so many great Colorado players right now. But like I said, Ryan O'Reilly is actually the one you'd want the most. And he's only in ESPN. I'll be curious to hear the Yahoo number. I'm seeing 61.3% owned. Considering that Colorado plays four times next week, including a game against Edmonton on Monday... You need Ryan O'Reilly in your lineup if he's a free agent still.
1: Actually, 58% owned in Yahoo, so a little lower than in ESPN, but it's curious that it's not a higher number. I'll just attribute that to attrition rates in fantasy hockey that seem to run rampant at this time of year. We also tweeted a ton about Ryan O'Reilly and a couple other abs recently. Do you know that Tyson Barry is one of the top three defensemen in points per 60 minutes scoring in the last two years?
0: You know, that doesn't surprise me. I remember last year he was getting a lot of points in not many minutes. And we were saying, oh man, I wonder if he should play more. He would probably do really well. And clearly he has. And I'm sure those early games where he got points in not many minutes are helping him achieve this high number in terms of points for 60 minutes.
1: Let's go back to Minnesota. You already spoke about Vanek, who disappointed people a lot of the season. And Miko Koivu also disappointed us a lot this season. I drafted him on both my own team and our joint team, Elon. He just came off a seven-game pointless drought, but that was like two, three weeks ago now, and he is rolling. He's got nine points in his last 10 games, four goals, five assists, finally rewarding anyone who had the patience to keep him. Might have been foolish to keep him all this time. I feel like we could have dropped him and picked him up. In fact, we did in our joint league during the times that he struggled because it seems like he's sort of produced in little five or 10-game stretches and then gone silent for a while. With only six games left in the season, I'm counting on him just playing this one out. He's due to finish with his poorest point pace since his rookie season back in 2005-2006. A frustrating season for Miko Koivu owners, but again, I still believe in him. I think his draft stock will fall, which is lucky for you because you'll be smart enough to snag this former 70-point player, and he'll be able to help you next year. Miko Koivu, though, for this year, still has something to offer you.
0: Yeah, though, like I said about Vanek, he doesn't play again until next Thursday, so make your lineup decisions accordingly. Okay, just a few names left. I want to go to Vancouver and talk about a couple of defensemen on that team. Alex Edler has been doing really well lately. He has six points in his last eight games, and also Yannick Weber has five points in his last eight games. Weber's actually been seeing a lot more ice time than he was used to on the year. He's been playing over 20 minutes in his last two games, and that's much higher than his average of less than 17 minutes. Both of the defensemen I mentioned, Edler and Weber, are both playing on Vancouver's top power play right now. If I had to pick one, I'd go with Edler, and it's worth saying Edler's had a very disappointing season overall, 23 points in 67 games, but all that matters right now is that he's doing well in the moment. Like I said, six points in his last eight games. He's also taking more shots. Actually, there was a game a couple of weeks ago where he took eight shots against LA. The next day, he took five shots against Arizona. He's taken two and three in his last couple of games. I like Edler, and if he's taken and your league is even deeper, I like Yannick Weber as well.
1: Continuing on with a couple deep ads, if you're looking at the sense we already covered who's in their top six today, but look beyond that. Look to their third line. Eric Condra, known as a fantastic checking forward, he had an assist last night to give him 15 points in his last 23 games played, 5 goals, 10 assists. Jean-Gabriel Pajot is up to 7 points in his last 10 games played, 3 goals and 4 assists. And Curtis Lazar has 3 goals in his last 4 games, too. Those are some deep cuts. Also, Vladislav Nemesnikov, who saw a little bit of time up on a better line when Palat was out, continues to still sometimes produce not a ton of shots on goal, but he does have five points over his last eight games, three goals, two assists.
0: And Brian, let's end the show with a guy who you kind of gave a dig at last week when we were talking about Patrick Marlowe, and you said that it would be nice if Marleau could be playing with better line mates and not with Chris Tierney. And since then, Tierney, I guess he must have listened to the show, right?
1: Your reward for listening to the entire show of Keeping Carlson is hearing about Chris Tierney, who might be able to help you. He has seven points in his last nine games, and the interesting thing is we mentioned him last week in the context of being a line mate of Patrick Marleau, and maybe that will be a place where he can produce. In fact, he's actually playing with Tommy Wingles and Matt Nieto lately, and that's where he still continued to be able to put up points. If you're looking for a very deep ad, who's not going to get you any peripherals at all, he has like 10 shots in his last 10 games, and most of those are ones and zeros, then Chris Tierney could be the guy that wins you your fantasy hockey championship.
0: (laughs) Doubtful. Come on. We (laughs) Sorry to burst your bubble there. But okay, it is worth mentioning Marlowe's back playing with Couture and Hurdle. Now, the lines have really shifted since last episode. I still wouldn't want Chris Tierney in my lineup. I know he's doing well lately. If I had to take someone on that line of Tierney, Nieto, and Wingles, I kind of feel like Tierney would be the last one. And in fact, Nieto has a goal and an assist in his last three games. So not so bad himself. I don't really want any of these guys. I think you want to stick with people playing with either Thornton or Pavelski or Couture or Marlowe. And if they're not, then don't take them. But if, as I said, the lineups have been shifting around and if one of those guys is on one of those lines and you need someone for a specific game, those are great linemates to have.
1: Just add the whole line. Tommy Wingles has six points in his last eight games and is putting up hits and even getting a few blocks and a few shots on goal. Matthew Nieto has four points in his last nine games and is putting up regular shots on goals, threes and fours in the shots on goal column. So add them all. Drop your whole team. Add these three guys. You'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Okay, Brian's getting a little kooky because we've been going on too long. So let's end the show here before he suggests that you pick up Danny Heatley.
1: Elon, you know what happened to teams that picked up Danny Heatley this season? Tell me. I think in large part, they didn't make it to their fantasy playoffs. But that aside, there are some teams that did make their playoffs and then have since fallen out of contention. Here's a short tribute to the teams that we have lost along the way. Lucic and Chong.
0: Bozak attack. I know why he didn't win.
1: Salty fried chicken.
0: Spin doctors.
1: Turku tormenta.
0: Two for roping.
1: (laughs) Zidlitzky boom boom down. San Jose (laughs) (laughs) Sharks And the Halifax hipsters.
0: So sad to hear that you have been eliminated. But hopefully you still decided to listen to our show this week. And thanks to everyone who listened to the show this week. We dropped a whole lot of names at you at Year of the Yetis. I hope that was enough. And everyone, let us know who you decide to pick up or let us know. Ask us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson if you have any additional questions or should I take this guy or this guy? We love questions like that. You could also just follow us on Twitter because Brian will be tweeting as all of the things happen throughout the week. Like always, we'd love it if you could... Go on to iTunes before the season is over and give us a five-star review. Help people find the show next year. Thanks again to our patrons. We'll be back again next week to, I guess, preview the final week of the season for those people whose fantasy seasons go all the way into that final week. But until then, let's cue that outro music and Brian, read us the credits.
1: This episode was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Behind the Net, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey.
0: Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to recording with you again next week.
1: And until then, Elon, keep on keeping Carlsson. song.